welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. On this episode, I'm talking with Sean McDonough, a consultant and Microsoft MVP with Bitstream Foundry, and Jeff Roski, a senior architect at Insight. We discuss the role of the citizen developer within the hybrid workplace, changes happening within the community, and the evolution of software as a service. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture within modern work. And my guest today, Sean McDonough, a consultant with Bitstream Foundry in Cincinnati, Ohio, and an Office Apps and Services MVP. And I should also say, like, like kind of co-creator of the monthly AMA, formerly weekly, but now a monthly Microsoft 365 AMA. And You're we're joined- generous. And we're joined by Jeff Roski, a senior architect for Insight, co-founder of the Boston Office 365 user group, and the co-founder of the new Janky Workshop on YouTube, the Tube of Views. Welcome, gentlemen. And just Thank a cool dude overall. Me, yeah. And, he, and we're also, and Jeff, there's a side topic we have to have at some point, or get back to the music project and doing and doing something together. So uh, we were officially, you know, um, uh, bandmates in Horses End, the, uh, the, the Vegas band that never was. Which, which keeps getting views and hits on Facebook. There's like the, the fake. We have a fake SharePoint band. It's the biggest fake SharePoint band ever that I know. It's the it, long every, tail. Every every couple of months, I get a message from you and says, "Why." And then there's like seven new likes over the past month. I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, we do that. That's a story in itself, right there, about uh, needing to put a fake backstory on a scenario for a a presentation together at a conference. And commentary I, of the documentary. We went in off the deep end in the backstory. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Uh, uh, Duck Sai um, famously said he um, he was a fan of us before we were huge, um, and that was with the Hoop Jump album. Yeah. yeah, my introduction was the bumper sticker. That's right. That's right. I just got the sticker and uh, now I know. Exactly. I will have to, in the related blog post, oh, I'll dear. put a link out to that page so people know what we're talking about. Because we did do the behind the music episode is what the two, the two are referring to. So, I really yeah. actually meant Keep to it wear alive. my Horses and t-shirt for this call. <laughs> and I'm sorry that I haven't. Um, it's, oh. it's been there. Yeah. It doesn't translate well to audio, Jeff. I, I uh, have it actually in my it's in a duffel bag in the closet behind me which is the tour shirt for the, uh, yeah. the burn bag yeah cancel 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 the day glow green i know it's fantastic <laughs> pre-doused with lighter fluid so does yeah. i i want to know anybody listening to this have one of those inflatable guitars that we gave away at our set that's what i want to know I didn't remember. Uh, that. I'm sure they kept it. Did we autograph it? How could someone throw something like that away? Yeah. All right. Check eBay. I, I, Check I, eBay. It, it, um, uh, Oriental Trading Company, um, you know, took a huge sum for the, you know, 93 cents they were each, you know, and so we'd like <laughs> to know what happened to them and are they rich now? Yeah. Well, so we'll get into some of the other backstory, the other stories within the stories here, but um, we, we do have some interesting topics to talk about today. So we're going to discuss where we are in this, and I'm doing air quotes here, new world of work uh, within the hybrid workplace, but we're going to look at it through the lens of the citizen developer and uh, what user-led citizen. development really looks like in its future. So that's one topic. 
We're also going to talk about the shutdown of SPS events. So the old SharePoint Saturday org it's the sps sps events.org and what that means for the microsoft community and where we think it needs to go from here and then finally if we have time i'd also love to get both of your thoughts on windows 365 and the ongoing evolution of products and services and specifically i'd love to get your thoughts from both a consumer of these products and services and as a partner and so there's so much more that we can cover of course what with Jamie Spears filing for the dissolution of Britney's conservatorship? That's huge. I mean, important and, topic, yeah. And what's free Britney? Like Hashtag free Britney. And and then there's also Matt Damon's alleged secret Instagram account. So I mean, so many things which could have business application here, collaboration relevance. But let's begin <laughs> with the new world. Stretching it a bit, but yeah, yeah. okay. Who knows? <laughs> I don't, it might find its way in. Jeff and I gave so many presentations together that involved Britney Spears or or, or Justin uh, Bieber. So yeah. or Richard Harbinch. And, and hey, sure. Well, we we used sure. him as a stand-in. Yeah. FYI. Well, he, was, he, he is he, a stunt double for Bieber. Yeah. Yeah. He's no, he was Bieber's Bieber. stunt double. Yeah. No, it, it's been ten years, so he's no longer the Biebs because he's the beep still looks like a child um yeah, and richard harbage has grown up slightly and richard harbage has a child so yes thankfully up to two now i think he has two yeah he's got a I couple of one days. yeah i think so what do we do that he claims let's get started with this new world of work and uh hybrid workplace and specifically citizen developers so there was some you know controversy a few years back uh around uh, with the shift towards uh, software as a service and what was happening to a lot of the traditionally the IT pro roles. That was kind of the beginning of this. And then, of course, you had the increase of tools, workflow being a great example of that, SharePoint designer back in the day, InfoPath, um, those kinds of tools that were allowing non-devs to go and kind of self-serve their solution needs. And, you know, where are we today with citizen developer with that role? I kind of think of it as a multi-pronged attack by Microsoft. I, I think this started back around the release of SharePoint 2013 when I was up in Redmond with a bunch of other ISVs. John and they announced there. he was there on the ground when it was. I happening. was there. Yeah. And Who's there were a there? lot of people. Who's on the ground? Oh. <laughs> uh, so there were a lot of ISVs. We had a, an entire conference room full of ISVs when Microsoft announced the, the cloud app model with 2013. And you could have heard a pin drop because in the span of 20 to 30 seconds, probably half the people in that room realized either A, their company's products could no longer exist in the new world, or B, that they might not have a future because they were used to writing compiled code on the server. And now, you know, with SharePoint framework and the extensions, everything's been focused on front-end development. That's kind of like, I consider that to be phase one. That's when it was like ratified. Because, you know, Mark Anderson's been doing front-end development since the 2007 and probably before days. He's the author of uh, SP Services, one of the most popular JavaScript libraries. And, and he- I point out that Mark's team- at Simpraxis Consulting, also based in Boston, uh, is also the like the lead authors of what you can go and find. They've been writing content for Microsoft around the Microsoft 365 maturity model. 
So building off of uh, Sadie Van Buren's work, you know, back with the SharePoint maturity model and expanding that out, it's it's uh, it's getting fairly got, robust. Yeah. Right. They've got Julie Turner, they've got Todd Clint, you know, it's a, a solid team there. Yeah, Emily Mancini is also- And Mark is the one who, you know, spearheaded the Microsoft Docs effort from yep. the community yep. perspective. Yep. So, you know, they've been huge contributors, that company as a whole and individually. I think we but- should talk no more about them though, however, because Mark refuses to do one of my MVP interviews so uh he just can't and he's find also it. not sponsoring this episode so, I, so he's dead know. to us oh, yeah. temporarily <laughs> so um shun up we're gonna shun now the shun shield is uh shun shield so there we go shun show brother <laughs> all right sorry so so anyway you know Didn't that you kind of a thought sean come on <laughs> i had a thought so anyway you're doing great buddy. I, I was. And then you guys came along. So anyway, <laughs> you've got this, you've got this semi void uh, that was filled or excuse me, exposed, you know, taking some developers out of play, introducing newer, and that's air quotes, um, development approaches. But, you know, over time, Microsoft has tried to expose that in the form of citizen developer tools. And they're not specifically designed for citizen developers, but those are the folks who get the most out of these things. And, you know, first and foremost, you've got the the power platform. I think Power Automate, Power Apps, these sorts of WYSIWYG type tools um, that take what were typically complex application pieces to develop and kind of standardized them and um, commoditized them. Microsoft makes connectors for everything in Power Automate. Um, there's a whole bunch of people out there in the Power App space. You know, Shane Young's up here with his Power Apps 911. And I've also got um, um, a couple of other folks, but, you know, yeah, Laura a lot Rogers of folks in that space as well. That, you know, yeah, people... Laura's in that space. Um, yeah, yeah and... Laura's a big, big, big voice in that space. Yep. Yeah. So a lot of former SharePoint people or what we, you know, they used to be SharePoint people. They're now focused on the power platform because they either had the foresight or the interest to go into that space. Yeah, no, we're more AS400. We're more <laughs> AS400 maintenance people. Writing G- JCL, <laughs> are you, on the weekends? Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, you know, the, the, these tools have made it, each with each release and with each tool, I want to say that the level of technical knowledge required to develop a solution or implement a business process because they are based around implementing business processes rather than just writing pure play code. Mm -hmm. And um, the level to get in on these tools is very low. Um, And the training is actually very good and fairly consistent as far as Microsoft's implementation of them. Of course, everything's still evolving, but they're looking real good right now. You know, another area or like blurred line is around PowerShell. Um, and, and because again, PowerShell was, uh, you know, the, you know the, the ability to go in without having to go and, and work with your DBA to get kind of, you know, back into some of the data and some of the, you know, insights into the various tools. Uh, it, it, was the, it was the pearl of the Windows world. Because um, Perl was the scripting language on the Linux infrastructure um, long before, and Microsoft finally imported that into that. And um, then people who grew up on Perl, like me, 
um, you know, just found a natural habitat with Microsoft and PowerShell where they can script things and it's not BB <laughs> script where it's just crap. And like, you know, things may or may not work and whatever. Um, but with PowerShell, you have libraries that you import and can really just bring everything that you need to do to pass. Like you could go into a project not knowing what you actually need and then finish it out because you know you know powershell you know yeah. uh, bring in the separate libraries and bring in whatever you need to to talk to whatever services and you can make all that happen and that was like the beauty of Perl back in the day um, assuming the admins give you the access <laughs> exactly right so i mean i know that there are some organizations that go in that and try to make it very structured and defined like those roles you have your end users you have your developers and you might have different levels of power user in between there that have certain levels of access so that uh you know and there are plenty of organizations that don't have that kind of oversight or governance in place and may run into trouble um or they may start to rely on solutions that are developed that haven't been fully vetted yeah I've often, when I'm speaking about PowerShell, I've called it the methadone for developers before uh, because, you know, for a long time, I had, you know, I used to develop code all the time. Now I only do it part of the time. And I but used to use methadone. <laughs> but PowerShell, you know, is to a developer what methadone is to a heroin junkie. You know, it's a way to get it's a way to, it, It's a way to split the difference. Yeah, it's, you know, you, you're still using the same the mental muscles. That's it's right. the edge. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But, you know, Christian, you bring up a, a good point. You know, these citizen developer tools, for as good as they are right now, I want to say that the one area where they're still, they could still use a lot of work and a game plan is integration into something that approaches a formal development release development life cycle kind of process. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you think most Microsoft shops are using Azure DevOps in order to control um, the process by which they roll things out, store source code, things like that. Even though we've gotten some help with, I wanna say Power Automate, cause that's what I'm most familiar with. There's still not a good story around any of these developments. You know, it Power Automate, Power, um, power apps that kind of thing it's kind of similar or analogous to the access database that was running on a computer that was sitting under somebody's desk in the enterprise mm -hmm. it's just a little or, more formalized or a sharepoint designer workflow it's just yeah. kind of hodgepodge right yeah. there's they've got you know you can export it as a it's some form of xml or json but there's no way to formally manipulate these things share them broadly within um a DevOps process and mm -hmm. life cycle. So yep. that's where we need some help. Yeah, it's still, uh, and again, uh, you know, what that looks like, I don't know, has anybody provided guidance on going in and setting something like that, formalizing that process, uh, you know, of, of formalizing the citizen developer community within an organization? Has there been any best practices or case studies or examples that you guys are aware of? Not that I can think of, but by their very definition, they tend to defy that kind of rigidity or formality. Right. Um, well, I'm not saying like lock down, close the system. You, you shut down people from doing things that you, 
people are funny. The more controls you put in place, the more likely they are to go around those controls, right? Because they want to go get their work done. And so a lot of citizen developer, like that type of role was created because people need to get their work done. And the least responsive organizations, and there's, I'm not like pointing fingers at uh, like an IT organization. It's just the reality is that you know, it's a no, little people. It's like when people be like, why doesn't Microsoft go and fix that? It says, as big as Microsoft is, the way that they're organized and the developers around it, there are, there's a finite number of developers that are creating Microsoft technologies. And so we talk about go down, down in the features, your know, products and features and scale down in there. And you've got you know a, a handful of developers that are actually building the actual product around that. And they have to prioritize. They have a lot of things that they're being asked to go and do. Similarly, an internal IT team has just a, a weight of, of all of these projects and initiatives and priorities and people they report to around that. So it's not surprising that in many of those organizations, if it takes longer than four to eight hours or even 24 hours for IT to respond to a request, end users going to be like, I got to get this done. You know, this is why we had the explosion of under desk, like SharePoint installations happening for, you know, uh, from 2007 through 2013 easily. Critical access databases. Yeah. Yeah. It sent up SQL Express and they would uh, deploy out a SharePoint farm to that. like the early um, exchange, I forget what it was called, um, but like it was like one source or some stuff like that, uh, where you just go and people would just set up the things on their desk, and you know that became a linchpin of the company because they had to get work done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they were people they do were, what they have to do, and yeah, it's like they, a they, it's like a web were, page. If it takes yeah, longer were, than three seconds. You're going to mash refresh or do something else yeah they were stalled by it and office 365s removes that from them because it doesn't have you don't have to spin up a server you don't have to have a dedicated appliance or anything like that right yep so that's a good question christian um as far as prescriptive guidance for how to integrate that kind of stuff i've not looked for it nor seen it but i want to I want to say that somebody's taken a crack at it out there that, you know, it may just not be an article that's readily available or something, but yeah, I, I think I'll reach out to Shane and yeah, if somebody's put out. that together, I mean, again, and to Jeff, to your point, it's the trick is doing it without interrupting, you know, that, that work it's without shutting right. that down, you know, and right. so you, you want to have governance in there. And so even having tiered, having kind of an entry point and once they're vetted, they're trusted, and then maybe give them more access up at this level, you know, but for an organization, if they're seeing a lot of this kind of activity, I was going to use the phrase, you know, you want to rein it in. That's the wrong way to look at it. It's not about control. It's about security. It's about, uh, you know, uh, uh, the quality of the solutions that have been out there, especially if it's touching any aspect of production systems uh, that they're responsible for. I mean, I, you think about like the progression of that Microsoft got to where we are now. Uh, remember when Sandbox Solutions not wasn't perfect in any in any way, but it was the that the needed next step in the progression, getting to where 
uh, you know, people were able to go and try things out and build things without breaking everything. Yeah. Right. Evolutionary yep. step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, interesting. Right. Well, well, that's it. Yep. Yep. And exactly what you said, Jeff. So. Extra thumbs up there. All right. Well, cool. Well, that's, Same. I mean, I mean, yeah, there's a lot more we could talk about on that process itself. I, I, I wrote some notes down here. I'm going to go and take, do some searching as well. Let's talk about this. Cause I think that's it. If there's nothing, it's a worthwhile pursuit to work with some people and put together some content, some guidance around that. If it exists out there, I'm happy to get behind it and champion and push it out there. Of course, if somebody's attempted yeah. it and it's crap content, we'll let them know that as well. Yeah. So Shane Young, <laughs> if you're listening, I'm going to be giving you a, a holler. I'm buying lunch. Let's get together soon. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, let's jump into topic number two. Let's let's talk about uh, Eric Harlan and Susan Lennon and uh, shutting down SPS events. It's happening. What in the yeah. another, another month or something? It's it's all being shut down. No new. Well, if it's shut down, the, it's proceeding on like a chicken with its head cut off and sure. still running around a bit. Because I thought I just saw a call for speakers for yeah. Well, SPS yeah, there's Toronto. a few things that are going on. Well, so so let's let's talk about what this means. So there was back uh, uh, 10, 11 years ago, there was yeah, the cre- talk creation of yeah SharePoint yes. Saturday. And SharePointSaturday.org. I won't get into some of the history. There was a need to kind of a rebranding and and a, a different domain and things around. Draw that. some boundaries around Correct. events and. But essentially, what it was, it was a centralized hub for SharePoint Saturday events, which are all community-driven, community-led. But there needed to be some oversight and usage of the name, and there was guidance also for people that were in areas who really wanted to pull together because they're, they're kind of the idea behind SharePoint Saturdays was that you might be in a town or a region where you've got a user group, there's a lot of activity, but you're not big enough to, you're not Las Vegas, you're not, you know, Redmond or Seattle, you're not big or enough. Or Branson. To, or Branson. To, to draw a crowd for like a huge conference. <laughs> and so it's like Keep the going. next step up um, from the user group is creating a community-driven you know, 100, 200 people, 300 people that show up for an event and have it self-funded. So on a Saturday, nonetheless. On a Saturday. Crazy and it people. just, it took off like wildfire. And, so and- it, it started out, um, uh, to give some of the history of, uh, for people that might not know, it started out as SharePoint Saturday. Um, and there was a guy named Michael Lauder, um, which was one of the founding members. Um, and I'm not sure what happened along the way, but he became disenfranchised with the, the group. Um, but the other original people, Eric Harlan, Susan Lennon, you know, they really gave me uh, the platform that I'm talking to you guys today yeah. about because um, I went to the Best Practices Conference in San Diego and was out drinking with Bob Fox and Spence Harbor till like four in the morning. And then they delivered a talk on ADFS at 8 a.m. And I'm like, oh, I can totally do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. And then, all, all three of us kind of came up through the ranks and kind of built a portion of our career around these events. Exactly yeah. the same way. Like when Twitter was useful to like actually pay attention to. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I would we say many of us right. were still more yeah. active on Twitter, but you know, it still has its uses. Yeah, but like that's how all of us became friends originally. And then I met you guys in person uh, at conferences, and like it was like we'd known each other for a long period of time. And that's how ahead. yeah, this small group of people became a community, and it's fantastic. And like you know, SBS events is it, it's run its run. Because now everything's Office 365. But there's the, uh, there's the branding side of it. I guess that's the question is because. Yeah. So what's happening for folks that aren't in the know around this is SPS events, which has been the centralized site and shared calendar of all the different events, as well as, you know, uh, uh, providing a platform for these uh, for doing these events. So I can go and organize like I ran for almost a decade the SharePoint Saturday, Salt Lake City. I ran for seven years with Erica Tully, um, ran SharePoint Saturday, Redmond. I helped launch SharePoint Saturdays. I, I kept flying to the East Coast to attend these events and speak at these events and be like, why? Thank you for coming. Why? You know, yeah, it was great. But I was like, why can't we have out any of these out West? So I helped Like start in Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon. Um, helped a little bit with Portland was already kind of underway. It helped with Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, but kicked off in Bend, Sacramento, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, Salt Lake City, you know, helped with from afar, Honolulu, Mexico City, Boise, um, Phoenix, a uh, few others. And then I've yeah, also- we all, did, we all did a little bit of that. The people yeah. that were, uh, uh, you know, on the ground floor is we all wanted to make these things accessible to everybody, no matter where they were. So there's yeah. the we, we took like a, a lot of personal cash, a lot of personal oh, yeah. capital to actually make that happen. It, yeah. I, I'd what say about half of my time was where my my company, you know, the companies that I worked for saw the benefit of participation and being there. And so it's a Saturday, it's my time, you know, that I'm I'm donating to that. A lot of the effort around that was after hours. I was lucky enough to work most of that time, most of my career for companies that would pay for the hotel and flights like that was their donation and sponsor a lot of those. But yeah. likewise, I've done a lot of those where I've sponsored personally uh, uh, to make sure that it happened so that mm -hmm. we could break even on these events and get these. You believe in it. it it's right. something that you believe in. Right. Yeah. And, I, I you know, think that's uh, that, 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 you know, plays to your role in, you know, making these things successful. That's awesome that you donate your personal capital to do that. Yeah, I think we underwent a couple of changes. You know, we've been through phases here. SharePoint Saturday, the event as, branded as such. At that point, I think it was, the cost of entry was very low from an organizer's perspective because that organization helped move money. And that was one of the fundamental differences between a SharePoint Saturday and SPS events. With SPS events, to get your event started, you need to set up a 501c3, a nonprofit organization, or have some way to move that money. You don't have to do that, but... You don't, but yeah. right. if you're going to process sponsor dollars, you needed some mechanism to do that. So, and and, yeah. and, and so there... The Boston there's... area SharePoint group, um, we had to set up a 501c for that, um, specifically for our... Um, meetings every month and we also extend right. that to um sharepoint saturday boston that, that was actually the record that one of the shifts away from the sharepoint saturday org versus sps events one was a refresh of the site of the sharepoint you know hosted 
uh, environment that could that hosted all these city you know event sites um kind of like for people that are familiar with it kind of like meetup but not different than yeah. meetup, you know but yeah but anyway, a little more yeah. specific and nicer but you were <laughs> but funding it like us in salt lake city like what we did and what the recommendation became was yeah you go set up a 501c3 you know or or if you want you know that tax status um so so to, to gather sponsor dollars um what we did is we went and, and our user group already had um that set up and so we would actually do the funding through the user group there were some events where again i worked for previously for a company that took on the tax burden so they collected the dollars and then wrote the checks for all of the bills for the event and part of their donation in the big picture was the tax burden for having done mm -hmm. that and so that that was that it was a nice thing to go and do but what's shutting down is is Eric and Susan and a few others, Tasha, and I'm not sure who the level of involvement of others now, but because it's been running kind of on auto probably changed a little bit over time. Yeah. yeah. But that they're shutting yeah. down that centralized site and service because one, there are fewer and fewer SharePoint Saturday events. Not that the topics, the community of events are still relevant. Right. We two years ago, three years ago, we merged Salt Lake SharePoint Saturday, Utah changed our name to Microsoft 365 and we moved it to Friday because culturally here in this region, what we discovered is we when we rebranded that all and moved it to Friday. It, I'm sorry? All user groups happen on Thursday. Well it's another well that's not that. It's it's because here in, in Utah with the high percentage of Mormon population who don't do things on Sunday, Saturday is the only free day to do stuff. When yeah. we moved to Friday, we doubled our number. I believe yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I know there, there were a lot of different things that people worked around. I mean, there were various flavors on it too. The, the two days event, the yep. two day events, the, the multi-day event that was or attempted in DC. Uh, yeah. We did multi-year grand tours. Yeah. Early, all of that. You know, 2010s. Yeah. But, but I... Yeah. I was going to say, I, one of the things, you know, it's, it's run its natural course. I think I'm sure that Eric and, um, and Susan. the rest of the folks, yeah, Susan and anyone else who's been operating this, they've largely been doing that out of, you know, goodwill and it's, they've had a long tenure. They've been doing yeah. this a long time Agreed. and they probably yeah. need a break. One of the yeah. things that impacted, I, I can tell you, I used to work for an ISV called IDERA. And Christian used to work for Excel. Or did you work for an ISV at some point, Jeff? Uh, no. Okay. But well, that, that, and, and, I'm, I, I'm not saying that you're inferior or should somehow be ashamed. I would never say I that to your face. Inferior. Jeff, I would never say that to your face. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. <laughs> but, you the know. The other things you say to my face are ridiculous. <laughs> back when i was with idera i i know we were sponsoring a large number of these community events and i know for isvs as a small population of you know companies they were providing a lot of funding for these events with an expectation that it was going to you know allow them to obtain leads perhaps uh get leads to sell software into companies but you know part of that reality is that was never realized is the fact one 
the only people going to events on a Saturday are your enthusiasts. They're probably not the ones with purchasing power or decision-making. Yep. yep. And two, at IDERA, we track the cost per lead, cost per qualified lead, as I'm sure you guys did. And the metrics were just not good. The number of people who became interested in our products as a result of a SharePoint Saturday or an SPS event didn't make sense for us to continue to sponsor at the levels that many of the events needed. Now, that doesn't make them any less relevant. They certainly help the community. And the folks who did tend to benefit the most were folks in the local market, consulting companies, those who would meet and greet people in their area and be able to interact with them and perhaps build relationships. So, and I get that. So two points on that, because I think that's a great point, John, and, and there needs to be value for everybody involved. And, uh, you know, obviously, so, uh, you know, for the, for the organizers, um, just to be able to put that on there, a lot of it is very altruistic. You know, we believe mm-hmm. in the power community and, and look, there's going to be opportunities that are come. You don't have to selfishly be out there pitching your company and your wares as a co-organizer of an event. It's going to happen organically because of your involvement there. So like, don't worry about that. Like, but, um, but I understand like that aspect and there was a number of, in my company now, I mean, where they started to do less and less of those. And part of that was because what we found, what we learned is that like going to SharePoint Saturday, Boston every year, it was typically the same people showing up every year. Yep. And we already had that in our list and there were some net new um, however, you can only market so often to Jeff and his well, girlfriend, or excuse me, wife yeah. now. Part of this, you know, yeah. <laughs> part of it is I think that the mistake in that kind of thinking from a marketer, and this is I'll put my marketing hat on, is the goodwill that's built. And what a lot of that goodwill that can be lost very quickly if you, as a company, disappear from the community. And so while you may not be getting and this is this is a harder thing looking at marketing attribution and what that is actually yeah. spread out across. Yes, the decision makers, the people that write the checks are not the ones that show up at a community event uh, on a Saturday. Those are the technology zealots and, and people looking for that couldn't get training dollars. Free training, go, exactly. like All that kind of stuff, which is all fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. But when the person writing the check turns to the team trying to make a decision about something, who are the people they go to to validate, is this the right decision? It is to the people who are showing up at these events. So right. there is an impact to that. It's just an indirect impact. But totally. so that, that's the larger argument for the benefit of participating in, uh, uh, you know, in face-to-face being there. The one right. last yeah. thing I would say, one thing that we evolved and changed with the Utah event that started with Redmond as well. And this goes back to like a Harlan trick. So when Eric Harlan <laughs> was was running uh, directly managing specific events like Baltimore. <laughs> he would offer out like a low hanging fruit sponsorship and he would get dozens of these sponsors to throw in mm. three, four, 500 bucks. Yeah. So it, you know, instead of asking, they buy it, they, they, they buy a PS4 or something like that, or a PS3 yeah. or it wasn't a capital outlay or, yeah. or throw in the cash, but I mean, either way, but that, that allowed that you know, that that why it was easy to go and we started doing that in Utah. We found very responsive. They wouldn't go and spend twelve hundred thousand or two thousand dollars. They right. spend three hundred bucks. Right. They're like, yeah, I'll do that. And we would actually just yep. say like, 
it's just you get your logo on there and it supports the community right and yeah, what kind of it. monsters are not going to support the community? <laughs> what's it, yeah. it, it the big thing that happened to the boston area sharepoint user group is um we'd run dry on sponsors we can only tap somebody you know so we were trying to save for the future so we had charged x number of dollars per event so we'd have money in the bank and we had a bank account for the boston area sharepoint user group and then that dried up long ago and then office 365 was the big um was the big driver and it wasn't just about sharepoint anymore so it made more sense for somebody else to take that on and that's what dimitri eritov uh, uh david lawsley uh the other guy who I can't remember his name off and yeah, Sam. We'll, we'll, dub, it, we'll dub it in later. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Got it, Bob. Bob. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I agree, Christian. I agree with all your points, and they're totally valid. And it's um, you know, especially about. Uh, yes, I'm validating you. <laughs> you should feel warm and fuzzy right now. I do. He does. He so, does. But, he needs that. So fuzzy. I know. Thank you. But yeah, that that. If you're taking a a um, an outside view, like somebody in higher up in a company who might sponsor these large sums of money, the big problem was always you could not objectively correlate the money <coughs> spent to what you got out of it. It's a soft right. benefit, right? And that's soft only in that it's there's you know no way to objectively correlate it. Not that it doesn't do great because. You know, it only takes one person to be impressed by what you've got and suggest you to a purchase. Pay that group. back, yeah. Right. Yeah, for you to to recover that. But how do you correlate that? We did. We had no way to you know put those metrics together. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. but well, you've all you know, I've always been impressed. You've always had a what I will call enlightened view on many of these relationships regarding sponsorships and different groups and whatnot, Christian. Um, and this is, you know, you've been very consistent in this the whole time. Um, it's just too bad more people didn't listen to you. But well, it, we it, are where we are right now. And again, I make that 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 statement. That, you know, attribution is hard. You have to be very intentional about what that looks like. So, uh, you know, the, um, I mean, those are some of the as I started with with AppPoint in December. I mean, some of the kind of the fundamentals questions around some of the community activities and sponsorships and things like that. I mean, I. I've been uh, critical is too strong of a word around it, but you know, I, so I've let the team know is like that. I said it is a readily apparent that companies like AppPoint that were so much involved early on have mm -hmm. stepped back from, and we've lost something part of the edge around that, and we can do better, and we need to do more around that, and understanding everybody that we, needs a chance to win Ducati at a SharePoint well, yeah. conference. Well, it's, it's not that the big events, that'll still be happening at <laughs> the major conferences, but from a community standpoint, I mean, even as something as simple as sending out a swag kit to any user group that requests it, um, anybody that hears this podcast and they want an ad point swag kit, contact me, we'll get one to you. Like I'm formalizing activity around that. Getting involved in more of it, being the being a company that sends the three to five hundred dollars to every one of the SharePoint Saturday or whatever it's rebranded to be, you know, going yeah. forward, it's important to be involved and support the community aspect. The trickle down economics of community is that uh, again, from an attribution standpoint, if we then start to get 
you know, uh, opt-in user, uh, you know, attendee lists from those events, not decision makers. But when we look at our opportunity pipeline and level of activity across the board around those non-buyer personas, and sorry, marketing speak here. Yeah. But we start to then suddenly there's movement in a company that where they've been dark for a while and you can start to relate it to, hey, they had several of their people show up at a webinar or they came to our booth at SharePoint Saturday Phoenix. Uh, you know, uh, you start to see the patterns of behavior there. Former, it's, you know, it's guerrilla marketing is what it, it, is. it is. And it, it, is. and once you get a foothold with somebody then something happens and you know that's how i took on the the boss bug and sharepoint's learning boston and everything like that it's like it's all real marketing you, you know, just get a, out there and you get somebody interested in the thing that you're doing and then they are the people evangelizing that in their well, organization well what's amazing what you see is that what happens and i've seen this in many examples personal experiences where uh you know a salesperson would call into a company, an organization, not get very far. They would then go talk with the team. Have you heard of this company or this, this product, this solution that they're doing and be like, oh yeah, no, and all about it. Oh yeah. No, I met, and I met their evangelist, you know, the, at the event last week or whatever. And then they call back. That has happened so many different times. So there is an impact. There is a way to attribute, correlate those activities. It's hard. It has to be intentional around that. But uh, you know, I think the intuitively we know that and there's there is value in building goodwill within. Yeah, the- and, and AvPoint's done that to a, a great extent because PJ's at every event. Like he's there, he's shaking your hand. Like you're meeting the tippity top of the company. <laughs> TJ? <laughs> TJ, PJ. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. You know, you know what I mean. That's right. No, that is, that's great. Again, I I think AppPoint has a great history of doing that. When I was organizing events, even working for a competitor at the time, I could count on AppPoint to pick up one of the sponsorships and help support the community. And a lot of the marketing people are like, what do you need? You know, what can we send out for that? Uh, That's great. So kind of the question that we started on. So what does it mean with this shutting down? So what happens next? I think I, I think a lot of things are going to go more to Office 365 user groups. Um, so it's more of a general topic area, um, which has been doing. It's yeah. been shifting that direction, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, we don't have any also, national level organization. I think stepping into uh, pinch hit. So I, you know, a my lot the, a lot of the people are still involved with the community uh, that grew up on SharePoint Saturdays and they're helping to push that out there. Um, You know, locally we have Mark Anderson and Julie Turner and that, you know, um, uh, group of people from Symphraxis that took over um, SharePoint Center in New England. And now it's, it's, um, oh God, what do they call it? It's like, you know, Office 365 New England. Yeah. you live in a big city, Jeff. Like, you know, yeah, so I, you have a. Well, no, we, I don't live there. I, I'm an hour away. I never go there. But we we started <laughs> to shift. I'll, I'll tell you. So in Utah, again, we we have our standalone website. We were using the SPS events site to host the you know the 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 annual event, which is you know the beginning of every February. Um, 
and we didn't have one this year. I don't know why. We, <laughs> yeah, we actually, we, we're, we're, uh, you know, we did our last one was in February of, of last year, 2020. So right before lockdowns happened and uh, held off, we thought about doing a virtual, but people were so overwhelmed with virtual events. We kind of, out, yeah. yeah, we, we called off doing that and we're planning to do right now the plan of record. I have a call this afternoon, the, our monthly planning call to talk about, but the timing we're, we're looking at doing an in-person event in early February again. So I'm excited so I, to get back there. But the question yeah. is like, we have our website. So, which nobody uses, it's always outdated. And then we have the meetup and what we did because of this evolution is we created what we call, it's an ugly acronym, but the Microsoft user group, Utah, mug it. And we created a, a meetup mug it so that we have a roll-up of the events for that are related to SharePoint, that are power platform. There's an AI user group. So there's multiple user groups that are posting their events under this roll-up on Meetup. And so that's one way that we're replacing or displacing our need for the SPS event site. So you asked what you think is gonna happen. Yeah. And I think it's going to be the next step along the lines. We had SharePoint Saturday. Then we went to spsevents.org and spsevents.org due to the operational model that a lot of people adopted, you kind of self-selected out if you were a much smaller group or organization trying to put one of these things on. You know, I can tell you here in the Cincinnati area, there was one point in the past we had within hundred or 200 miles, I could go to six SharePoint Saturdays yeah. in you know, over the course of the year. And it was and like, yet, ugh, and yet within that, much. I'm sure you heard, I heard from so many people locally after they saw the sessions that were offered, they're like, well, I didn't think anything of it because I'm not involved in SharePoint. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, we, so that was one of the reasons for rethinking the branding around it because right. people were, you know, not even taking a look at the schedule and the sessions, the topics because they just saw the word SharePoint and said, hey, I'm no longer involved yeah, in that. that first impression. Right. The, yes. So you raise a good point and you highlight, I think what is probably going to transpire at least for the near to mid term, which is organizations that have been running these events who had sort of their own operational plan, maybe their own website, and their own firm group of people who were committed to it. I think they're gonna continue to march on and do their own things. Another group, you know, that I think of in that vein is the Twin Cities crew, yeah. Sarah Hazy, Wes Preston, uh, Don Denays, you know, all those people, Tamara Bredmas. They were doing SharePoint Saturdays before there were SharePoint Saturdays. There were code camps and they were doing twice a year. Yep. They had that many people. It's still mm -hmm. one of the biggest, you know, or had been before COVID, you know, one of the biggest SharePoint Saturday events. And yeah, that, and that'll continue. They've got that built-in base there. And that's right. great for a lot of those communities. If you're established, we, you've we, got a platform we, to go and do that. The we saw is, that a lot here in the Northeast because we had SharePoint Saturday in Hampshire, SharePoint Saturday Vermont, SharePoint Saturday Maine, SharePoint Saturday Connecticut. And New it's England, all within a hundred miles. One is together. a completely separate one. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, we're Boston, we're here. Let's just all convene together. And then that's what happened. Everybody wanted a piece of the pie. Um, well, SharePoint was the hot topic. And then things gradually just 
whittle themselves down into the palatable components that people can actually take on. So, you know, that's, I think we'll see more of that. Uh, yeah, there's I, I have absolutely no problem with that. Let the uh, you know, let those the strong survive around that. There needs to be kind of a culling of the of those events and a read exactly for that because there's not enough sponsors and, and attendance. It's a lot of the same people speaking at each of those. So there's not, so there, I, I think that na- there's a natural progression where some of those die off and will go away and there'll be other opportunities there that what is, so the, the question I think that remains is what about that centralized platform? What replaces that? I don't know that anything does to get that platform that we've been using for the last handful of years built in, I'll say actually usable. I know that was a lot of volunteer time and effort and doing that another time around. I don't, well, I don't know of a group that's going to do that, but if you've got your own platform, whether it's meetup, whether it's your own site, whatever you're good. So, you know, other organizations use whatever they've got available to them locally and a lot of times it are those free things like, um, you know, meetup or um, event, right? Things like that. Yep. I think you nailed it, Sean. Is is really um, about the like holding power that these um, groups have and their dedicated their dedication to sticking with it um, and ones that are very well established and so again we'll keep continuing on um but the ones who needed that assistance from sbs events to have internet i think international events might probably slim down um there's been a couple conferences um there's the north american collaboration summit there's the european collaboration summit um, where a lot of these things happen, and then the user groups that were there, even before all the SharePoint Saturdays started to come around, I think those will still be there, but the SharePoint Saturdays are going to be a lot less, and it's going to become more of an Office 365 space where there is consolidated effort across, you know, multiple groups of people coming together um, with their shared interests. Yeah. Yeah. Cloud Saturdays. It, it, and a lot of them depend yeah. on the personality, a strong personality, like exactly. you, Christian, or you, Jeff, or Mark Rackley. I'm not a strong personality. No, but I, Rack, I, I Rackley's often talk the, about how weak of a, well, that's not personality strong, um, just just weak physically. It's <laughs> not on the beard, though. Oh, on the beard, I'm strong. Yeah, that's right. But, but Rackley is the quintessential example of what I'm talking about. He, the reason Branson happens every year and, you know, he continues to do it every year, despite many years ago saying he wasn't going to do it anymore. Every year he says that. That happens based on the strength of his relationships within the international community. And it would not happen if he did not have those relationships. So people like guys directly contributing to things. Like, you know, uh, and Jason said, like they, they will come across the pond um to you know support him um but it's something that actually he started because of what i was doing up in boston yeah um him and i used to be um uh we used to go out for business meetings where i'd take him out for steak um and he'd say we need sharepoint stuff they weren't do anything um irs stop was, listening exactly yes irs stop listening now <laughs> um 
but he would come up to the province area because uh, he was working for UNFI at the time. Uh, and uh, we'd go out for steak and hang out and talk about community and stuff like that. And it was fantastic. It's how, like, he built up, like, you know, uh, becoming who he is today. And so I, and even Jason Himmelstein, um is somebody that uh, says, like, I would never be doing what I'm doing today without you oh, yeah. being a person that actually influenced me. And, like, that means a lot. If you Holy look at it's like the science behind influencer, influencers, whether, you know, within your organization or out in the community, that, that side of it is, is that, that you can track a lot of it. I mean, that's, that's kind of a known thing about community um, is that, uh, you know, a lot of it is tied to the power of the strength of the influencers that's involved. And that's why if you think of like an adoption and engagement strategy for whatever the technology is within an organization, one of the best practices is to identify those influencers and give them all of the tools and the help and support that they need because they're the ones that make it work. And you can look at, look at SharePoint Saturday, the history of where in some regions where it just died off. It's because who is really behind that and leading that effort? And then right. they stopped, they moved the, their family, their business. They physically moved. They're no longer in that region and it just withered and went away there. Yep. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, I, I do want to make time. It's, it's a great topic. I think we're going to be talking about and, and participating in a lot more of what happens. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, with, I'm curious. With the site being shut down and what kind of opens up. But finally, I want to talk about um, what's happening with Windows 365 with the launch of that service and specifically the evolution of products and services moving towards the cloud. We kind of kicked that off with the citizen developer, you know, the changes that are happening into those roles. And I think this is at more of that, that macro level, looking at what's happened around these products and services. I mean, I have a perspective working for an ISV. There's perspectives working for an SI for a consulting company. And there are perspectives from an end user. I mean, we have like from an ISV perspective, I mean, there's, you know, the, the direct approach and solving these problems and on-prem hybrid and cloud-based solutions around that. There's all the, the architecture, the, the solutions that are actually pro provided across those can be very different. How much do you try and maintain for hybrid or do you, do you take the Apple approach, which is you stop, you write the new version and you provide no integration, no movement between, and you have to cut your losses with the last You're one. You're dead to me. And move to the next one. Yeah, exactly. Um, so <laughs> you'll pay it anyhow. Yeah. So you know, so that's that's something for as an ISV. I mean, we're we're looking at that, saying that as Microsoft moves, pushes hard for partners to develop, you know, transactable solutions that are available within the marketplaces. We provide enterprise collaboration and security solutions that you, you can't just plug into a marketplace, make a purchase with the credit a card, flip a switch, and then yeah. it just starts working there. It's like it's a deployment because it does a heck of a lot more than a smaller, it's usually a watered down version with a, a limited feature set that's available through capabilities mm -hmm. like that. So what are your thoughts? Like what, what is happening with the, the way that we're consuming this, these solutions? I mean, there's, there is a spot for everything you need. Um, 
so with F point, if you're looking for a truly robust migration solution or backup solution or security solution or governance solution, um, Avpoint has been in space for a very long time and they have the chops to back it up. Um, whereas some of these newer companies that come out, um, you know, I, I, I say smaller companies and I, I, I'm sorry to Brett, um, you know, but Lightning Tools is a smaller company compared to Avpoint. Avpoint has hundreds of people working for them. Uh, Lightning Tools has tens of people working for them. However, they've both been very, they're both veterans in the space. Um, and so they know what they're talking about. And Microsoft works with them, um, whereas it used to be Microsoft said, hey, we're changing this. And you know, as far as anybody else knows, when this change is going to happen. Um, Microsoft's been very accepted to their, um, their VAR market. And um, uh, been, that's been their entire platform this entire time where they rely on those value-added resellers to actually make products that support the platform that they're working on. And these people that have been in this since the beginning are open to a whole host of new information that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. Yeah, I think that there's, you know, uh, you know one thing that's certainly true is that, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of things that happen out in the, you know, the, 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 the channel. Um, so I, you know, the various, you know, value added resellers and, and ISDs and all the different, you know, acronyms, the groups, the partner community that's out there where partners are like, I can't believe in Microsoft made this move and did it's like, but you look at the majority, the vast majority of those changes is because Microsoft is being forced to evolve a lot of these different pieces. Yep. So it's not something that's being done to, you yeah, know. Yeah, no, one of Microsoft's brilliance is that they'll let the, um, uh, the value-added resellers and the third-party software developers come up with the next solution that they need to come out with themselves. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's viability of their solution year. depends on their ability to innovate and respond yeah. to right. customer needs. So yeah, there's exactly. a higher bar. Well, there, you know, it's, yeah. it's funny. There was a there was a phrase that was used back when I was a Microsoft employee. Was the uh, you know every every employee, whether a manager or an individual contributor, like you manage or you own your career, you manage your own career. So you're ultimately responsible for uh, you know knowing what your commitments are, what needs to be done within the organization, and optimizing and going in meeting or exceeding those those goals and commitments, things around that. But mm -hmm. take some accountability for that. Partners. I mean, my philosophy is like needs to do the same thing. It's like market is it's just another you know market influence that's out there. Microsoft is a piece of that. We're in that ecosystem. There's what's happening in the world. There's what's happening in the Microsoft ecosystem. I'm I'm waving my hands wildly for the people that can't see it because we're on. Yeah. He's uh, he's he's actually Italian. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and but you have those different things, and you need to constantly looking at. And this is I'll put my marketing hat on. Is you you're looking at the you know the four P's, five P's, however you you want around that of the marketing principles. You're constantly adjusting for those, the pricing of things, the placement of that, the product itself, and the roadmap for that, uh, the the uh, the promotion around that, um, the people that are involved. Again, there's a lot of P's that can be added to that mix. But as those things change, Microsoft is pushing towards a SaaS model. That's going to fundamentally change then the partner solutions around that. They are uh, focusing now, one huge shift that's happening is 
Um, not that they're going to stop selling to the enterprise, because of course that's not going away, but there's so much more focus on finally, uh, Microsoft is focusing more on the small to medium sized corporations, the smaller businesses down at SMB. And they're looking at the long tail, realizing that that's where they're in the next at least 10 years, where the massive amount of growth to their business will come is through that. And not just building solutions for the enterprise and USMBs go figure it out, but creating things with the SMB in mind. Uh, yeah, no, that's a whole other market share that right. they're not, they haven't been taken a hold of for years because they wanted the big businesses. Now they are focused on the small businesses do drive the most change as well. Right. And that, and it's not a selfish thing of Microsoft or, or, you know, a company like AppPoint to go, go and do it's like, well, that's just part of the change that happens. Yep. And our, our jobs are to, and, and I would even say this for, for customers of these products and services is constantly be looking at as part of your IT cycle, what's happening, what's changing? How does this impact our business? Does it make sense? It's like I say, well, let's let's talk about hybrid SharePoint. So something we all three of us have experience with or, or on-prem SharePoint specifically. Um, Microsoft has been very intentional with their wording after messing up a few years back and talking about end of life of SharePoint on-prem. Yeah, they stopped um, in there. Where now, yeah, they, they messed it up and they apologized, they came back and there is no end date. There's no roadmap. There's no secret double pinky swear conversations happening behind the scenes to bring SharePoint on-premises to an end. To bring this back to my original point and to tie this whole comedic joke up um yes. it's people <laughs> still it run as 400s in their business yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know what okay back in 93 90 i think 93 94 i was working for eds and they tried to convince me that i would make a really good cobol programmer and want to do and the reason i said no <laughs> So yeah, we're all laughing now. But the reason I said no had more to do with family. They wanted they wouldn't they wanted to send me for three months to Texas to go through training, and I was not allowed to bring my wife and my oh. young daughter. And I'm like, no. Uh, so <laughs> I just I just it wasn't feasible to go go and do that. And and then by the end of that with uh, with uh, Y2K. The COBOL programmers, I knew several of them, were making about three, $400 an hour. Bank. Yeah. Yep. Bank. yeah. <laughs> we made shit with very well. Then. And some of those COBOL <laughs> people, every once in a while, especially in the you know financial services world, a lot of COBOL still out there in the banking world. Uh -huh. And I don't know what those people are charging, but it's probably more than that. That's that's my end game is to uh, be a, um, a elderly SharePoint um, specialist and to make like a thousand dollars an hour. That's that's what I'm going for. That's a good goal. We all need goals. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you have an on-prem version of 2007. Oh, they called that Moss back in the day. Yeah. And nerd. You know, so funny is I used to think of myself as you know as the. Uh, uh, you know, the, the new kids on in the SharePoint game, because I didn't start working with SharePoint until 2005. 
Hmm. I I started in 2004, so I, I same I for me. Yeah, 2004. Yeah, it was um, the the I I forget what it's called, but it came with Exchange, and they called it Home Server or something like that. Um, I forget the name of it. Oh, Windows it Home like Server. Yeah, was a separate product SKU. It had a version of SharePoint. Yeah, it was a version. It had WSS. It was a file sharing application, it's and WSS, that's basically yeah. it. The collaboration wasn't built in there or anything like that. That's when I got dumped into that, and I've been. Um, yeah, so that's that's my A message right there. Yeah, I started with building <laughs> web parts for Portal Server 2003. So uh, yeah, no, and integrating it into Great Plains. Uh, uh, yeah, well, so yep. my, See, no, there I, you go. That's I always like we, I, that's what we need. I always <laughs> like to bring up that my my first experience with SharePoint was deploying Project Server, and I tried to convince the client oh. I was working with. Um, not to deploy SharePoint. And they fought me on that. And that part worked well. And I actually, so WSS, I got to be a fan of, of WSS back in 2005. Project server never worked. It's never <laughs> it flat still out. doesn't work. Well, it, it was about the, the basic, well, let, there's a longer discussion on that topic. Um, <laughs> Nobody will have. <laughs> But the, the project and portfolio management is really about the intelligence of the portfolio view of projects. They're like the promise of having that portfolio view into your projects. And that's the part in the reporting and the data and the insights out of it that never worked with Project Serve for us. Yeah, it was a lot. And before somebody work. writes into me and complains, like, no, we hired the same vendor that deployed Project Server in Coca Cola like fresh off of that project, which was a case study for Microsoft. And yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I, I could have I, I, other words, but I'll kind of, uh, you know. Save those for your therapist, Greg. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> so kind of wrapping up on this topic though. So with the, with the evolution of the delivery of Windows as a service uh, and everything else as a service, I mean, does anything else change about your worlds with, with these new offerings in this direction? I, I think it's just the natural progression of things. Um, it already happens anyways with monthly updates. Um, and that, you know, that's been happening for decades um, where we get a monthly update. We, you know, drivers change and we get screwed up and then we can't use our computer for a couple of weeks and then Microsoft releases a patch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, and uh, even it, beyond that, all, beyond that, I mean, I've- the same thing. Anybody who's been in the Windows Insider program, um, I've been running Windows 11 now for weeks on my laptop and my desktop, and pretty much anybody your, in the Windows. Uh, and, what about your uh, physical hardware system there that you have that you had all that trouble with? How about that one? <laughs> Which physical hardware system? I mean, I've had trouble with everything. The one but, Spence is bothering you about. Oh, Threadripper. Yes, yeah, yeah, Threadripper. One. <laughs> but um no i that's running windows 11 too in fact i got a blog post on that how you have to enable your tpm module trusted platform module on oh, bios because that's Sean, one of the requirements i'm patting you on the head since you're an old school geek and i appreciate it <laughs> i truly am yes <laughs> hey, you're patronizing me that's okay yeah no it's all right <laughs> but yeah i agree with jeff i mean i just think it for me and my operations it's just the next evolution. Windows 
is just assumed on business hardware in a Microsoft shop, you know, you're running Windows somehow. There's the desktop group that handles that. They've got their own processes. You know, I've worked with organizations like Procter & Gamble who had their own standardized enterprise workstation platform. That acronym is SOUP. SOUP was a mess. No soup for you. But, you know, they would handle their things the own way, but everybody assumed they had Windows on their desktop and they used it. And that doesn't really change for me, whether I am getting it as a service, whether I'm downloading, uh, you know, an MSI and installing right off. I get new hardware, I build a new operating system or I install a new virtual machine and I use it. It really doesn't affect me. It's just the next step in evolution, I think, for me. You know, I, I think cause a lot of um, uh, change in um, uh, very corporate controlled environments like the one I work in. I work with an 11,000 plus person company. Um, and so I can't install anything on my system that hasn't been approved by IT prior to that. So I went up and bought my own laptop and I bought my first computer in 15 years. So I bought like a top of the line Alienware and stuff like that, you know, so I don't have to buy another computer for 15 years, but like, you know, if it's windows updates that are happening, the company can roll that out and their driver changes, stuff like that, that don't need to actually have it integration into them, especially if the, uh, the software flight you're, platform you're running on is controlled by another organization instead of your organization doing it through group policy objects and stuff like that they can let microsoft deal with that because they're dealing with it anyways and it takes that load off of you know the shelf of uh, uh, a big company like ours yeah i will say that unless there is some tremendous value add in large organizations controlling the platform to the extent that we've seen in the past, unless there's some compelling value to do that now, you're better off just letting things go with Microsoft, let them roll out patches, updates, driver updates, all that kind of stuff. Organizations who take it upon themselves to micromanage that stuff, hope they have a very large budget set aside and they have very tolerant users because they're just have, creating headaches. I have conversations almost bi-weekly with that, with people that are SharePoint on-prem, uh, 2010, 2013 installations, and they will not move to the cloud uh, because it is unsecure. I'm like, have you looked at their security site? They have more like- When was the last time you ran a penetration else? test against your own network? That's exactly. my first question to any CTO or anybody yeah, in a position to make that call. When was exactly. the last red team, blue team exercise? Because yep. Microsoft can tell you and the results, you, you're hoping for good stuff, but you're going to put your, you know, admins up against the entire Microsoft corporation. Right. You know, I know exactly. where my money's going to be done in that the work for you. They've already done the work for you. Just like, it, I still have this conversation with my clients day in and day out um, about moving from on-prem 2010 or 2013 or 2007 to Microsoft Online because they're a financial company and they can't afford to have those. Uh, like, really? Microsoft already paid for this all. <laughs> what do they tell people with SOX compliance? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, gents, I know that we're, we're, uh, we're up at the, the, uh, at the end of the wall here. Uh, this is, this is the topic. I mean, we, we've just kind of scratched the surface getting into like what we think 
like the partner impacted these things and what that. Oh, you haven't seen us even get started. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want me back. (laughs) But with that, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sean and Jeff, for, for taking some time and participating and of course, uh, for all those that are listening, uh, you could go to my blog at buckleyplanet.com. I'll provide links to all their social profiles and stuff so you can go in uh, and stock them. Uh, SharePointYankee.com and at Givaro. Yes. SharePointInterface.com, especially if you want to learn about trusted platform modules and Windows 11 requirements. There you go. Well, I just fell asleep, Sean. What was that? <laughs> Uh, it is being recorded you can play that love you buddy yeah love you buddy hey guys well thanks a lot so much and we'll uh we'll talk to you soon yeah thanks for doing this you've been listening to the collab talk podcast you can find us online at collabtalk.com as well as on twitter facebook and linkedin thanks for listening